Amen. So this morning, this morning, uh, the the title of the the message, and it's awesome to have the all of the the kids in with us. I appreciated Dr. Bob the way he said, you know, we we have programs for families for for kids from the nursery up through the sixth grade, uh, the high school or middle schoolers. They have their Bible study, but that normally meets after service. Um, but we want we want you to know that kids are always welcome in the service and. And having kids of my own, I know what it's like. If your kids are a little bit unruly and are making noise, um, that's okay. That's okay. So I'm a little ADD anyway, so it actually makes me feel at home when I get distracted. So, um, but t- today the, the the sermon is kind of put together, knowing that there's young kids in mind, and it's called the Tale of the Tomb. There is a classic cartoon character. You probably all know this character. His name is Snoopy. And uh, he asks some pretty important questions here. He says, where am I going? What am I doing? What is the meaning of life? And there are many different views and many different answers to that very question. And I've just, for our edification, pulled up a few of the answers to that question that come from culture the interweb, those kinds of things. And here they are. This is a kid in class asking that question. The teacher says, birth, the in-between stuff, and death. And then he says, that's it? Yeah. Well, um, this next one for you gamers, hopefully you know what this is. This is Pac-Man. The true meaning of life, one, you probably can't see this. The true meaning of, of life is one, you eat, two, you avoid bad people, and three, you jump to the next level. So that's the gamer's view, I guess, to this. Um, now imagine you go on a long quest to find a guru deep in the mountains, and you, you, you finally find this man. You say, what is the meaning of life? And he says, well, did you check out my Facebook page? Okay. Um, the more uh, uh, discouraging or empty response comes from um, a more of an atheistic worldview. The meaning of life. You're welcome. Nothing. There is no meaning to life. Uh, this next one's one of my favorites from the kitty cat that says, so what do you think the meaning of life is? The baby says, food and sleep. The cat agrees, yep, that's what I thought. <laughs> and then uh, my favorite, which will tell you a little bit about me and my pathetic life, is Chuck Norris. Um, the meaning of life is Chuck Norris. And if you don't know Chuck Norris humor, you won't get that, but... Anyway, for us, I'll I'll pass. You'll get distracted if I don't take him off the screen. So (laughs) I want to see him again. There he goes. Okay. Uh, For the Christian church and for Christian individuals, when we talk about Easter, um, the, the heart of the Easter message addresses, not only addresses, but it also answers this very question, what is the meaning of life? And we get to explore that today by looking at the tomb, the tale of the tomb, and more specifically, the empty tomb. Now today, we don't have tombs like they did so much in, in Bible times. Um, we have more like gravestones. My son and I, we were hunting in eastern, um, c- central eastern Washington, and we came across an abandoned cemetery, which is really creepy, by the way, to come across an abandoned cemetery in the middle of nowhere. At least we had rifles. But um, we, we came like, like they work against you know, in zombies. But anyhow, so um, we, these are a couple of the headstones, headstones that were there. Um, if you can see here, this one's June 10th, 1869 to June 21st. 1898. Here's another one. Um, born January 1st, 1899, and then 
died January 3rd, 1899, just three, three, two, three days, which was common in, in those days. But headstones are more common to us. But in days gone by, there were things called tombs. And the most famous tomb probably in, in many of our lifetime is uh, King Tut's tomb. Now, this is an actual picture of, of King Tut's tomb, and perhaps um, he's the most well-known king. Um, he ruled around the year like 1300, 1344-ish. He became king at the ripe old age of nine. Any, any like eight, nine, ten-year-olds in here, if you are, raise your hands. A few of you, okay. Can you imagine ruling the known world at that age? More specifically, parents, can you imagine them ruling the world at... I have, I have a young daughter that, that rules the world at her age. Um, she's not in here, is she? That's probably good. Um, so anyway, uh, this king, King Tut, uh, was incredibly wealthy. He was so wealthy that when, when it was discovered, uh, his tomb, it took seven weeks to, to excavate all of the treasure out of his tomb. And it took another ten years to categorize or catalog all of those treasures his his helmet which is this deal here uh, his helmet weighed 22 pounds and it was solid gold that was uh, king tut's um, helmet there now i want you to consider for a moment just by contrast we look at king tut's tomb we're going to kind of refer to that throughout this morning uh, but consider it in contrast um, another tomb and that is the empty tomb of christ this is this is supposedly the place, the actual tomb right here where, where Jesus was laid. At least that's what most people believe today. Could or could, may or may not be the actual truth. But notice, it's, it's not stacked full of gold and, and wealth and treasures. It's, it's rather a simple, humble, for the most part, it's a very empty tomb. And the story of Easter is all about this particular tomb, this empty tomb. And it tells us, a few things. We're going to look at just four things this morning. And the first thing that it tells us is it tells us of God's power is ultimate. The ultimate power. If you have fill in the blank in your notes, those are, the, those are your fill in the blanks. But when you think about his power is ultimate. Um, the pyramids, the pyramids of Egypt, like what we see with King Tut. They're famous because they contain the mummified bodies of the ancient Egyptian kings. Uh, Westminster Abbey in London is revered because it rests in it the bodies of famous kings and queens of the past. Muhammad's tomb is noted because of its ornate stone coffin and that his bones are in it. Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is known and honored because it is the resting place of many well-known and honored Americans. But, but... The garden tomb of Jesus is famous, not for what's in it, but for the fact that it is, is empty. The simple empty tomb displays God's ultimate power in Christ. And it's what makes the Christian story different than every other story out there, is that God raised his son, who was murdered on the behalf of the world. Um, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins, and God raised him up as his own. Uh, the, the Old Testament has prophesied about this. Psalms 22 is full of prophecies uh, about the, the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ as well. This empty tomb demonstrates God's power. It demonstrates his ultimate power over life. And I can speak for myself, and I know many of you can speak for this as well. 
that power is demonstrated in transformation, in in a life that is changed, a life that is new because of what Christ has done for me and for you. Unfortunately, the, one of the problems is that um, like in Jesus' day, and in our day, many people resist that message, they resist that truth, they resist that love that God offers. Um, and Jesus talked about this in Luke sixteen thirty one. It says, if they didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So right here, Jesus is is recognizing the fact that there's skepticism and that skepticism is always going to be present. Now, there are many different, many different people that come up with different um, roadblocks to why they don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. I'm not going to go into detail in any of them this morning, but a few of the, few of the big ones was that Jesus really wasn't dead. Some people say, well, Jesus really wasn't dead and he, he got out of the tomb on his own and just kind of disappeared so that his legend would continue. Um, but history is very clear. History is um, not biblical history, just world history is very clear about what took place to Jesus, that he was, that he was beaten, he was nailed to a cross, he was pierced, and that his, his blood actually flowed out of his body like a waterfall. Uh, and, and so let's just say he happened to survive that. Can you imagine him surviving that and then pushing a stone that tradition and history says weighed somewhere between two and six tons which kids that's about the size of an elephant Um, here this man who's been beaten nailed to a cross bloodied if he happens to survive i'm pretty sure he's not gonna have the strength needed to push that rock out of the way Uh, another one is that the disciples those disciples stole jesus from the grave Uh, another popular thought was that um, we're looking at the wrong tomb and that Jesus is still laid in some different tomb, which is just silliness when you think of the way that the culture there knew the Garden of Gethsemane and, and where the garden where he was laid. But I think the, the bigger issue, the bigger issue that we see, and it, it has to do with the fact that Jesus appeared after he was resurrected. He appeared to his disciples. Um, he, he had scars to prove his, his, his torture uh, that had been healed, uh, but he had the scars to prove them. And also, he appeared to over 500 people. The book of Acts tells us about that. And if, if you were to just take those 500 people and give them five minutes to share their eyewitness account of, who, of, of Jesus coming back to see them, it would take over 50 hours of recorded testimony from eyewitnesses. Not secondhand testimony. These are eyewitness testimonies. There is a, a man, his name's Dr. Greenleaf. Uh, that's a picture of him. He, he lived from 1783 to 1853, and he was uh, the acclaimed royal professor of the law at Harvard University. He was one of the most celebrated legal minds in all of American history, still is to this day. Uh, and he is known as the single greatest authority on evidence in the entire literature of legal procedures. He was smart as related to the law is what that's saying. Um, He also was a dogmatic atheist, meaning by atheist, he does not believe in God. He doesn't believe that God exists, that like that empty box showed, he really believes that life is meaningless. Uh, Now, what's interesting, he was in one of his classes and he was trying to talk about the fact that Christianity is a myth, that Christianity is 
nothing to be, um, it's just a, a legend that is told. Good guy Jesus, but the rest of it, especially the resurrection, was a myth because he didn't believe in miracles. So one of, or a couple of his law students came to him and they said, they said, well, Dr. Greenleaf, since you are uh, who you are, this legal genius, would you apply your expertise of the law and all of the principles that you use to, to prove cases true or false, would you use those same principles in order to rule out the resurrection of Christ? And he said, I think that's a good idea. The story is long, um, but I will say this. He took all of his research and he gave his life to Christ. Um, because of the issue, issue, specifically the issue of resurrection, now he had all kinds of different evidences as he applied, again, as an atheist, he applied the, the pattern of law to the case of the resurrection. He had all kinds of evidence, but the one that was most impressive apparently to him was the fact of the disciples, uh, the people that were closest to Jesus. When Jesus died, even though Jesus had told him, all of his disciples, that he would raise again, once he died, those disciples scattered. They disappeared. Um, they were afraid that they were going to be end up just like him, that they were going to be murdered. If he was associated with Jesus, they were going to be killed. Um, but it was a short time later when all of those disciples are coming out of their hiding place, going out into the streets and proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. And he simply looked from a, from a situation of, a rule of law, and just basic evidence, what would change in a person? That they were so scared um, and were in hiding, to all of a sudden now being out on the streets and many of them being crucified and murdered and certainly persecuted for a belief that just a short time ago they, they disapproved. And he said, there's no way people would do that, especially so many people, if they hadn't seen this man in person. When they saw the risen Christ, as the stories tell, as the scriptures tell, and as culture told at that time, it transformed them. And that was one of the evidences that Dr. Greenleaf used. Um, he goes, it's just, it's just, it's logic, it's evidence, and it's something. So he, he, he continues on. There's more to that story. But the empty tomb, the empty tomb tells of God's ultimate power. And really, what is the power? What, what is that power? I mean, it's certainly the power to raise Christ from the dead. But as we alluded to earlier, the power is in the fact that life changes. That if he can raise Christ from the dead, he can transform a human heart. A heart that is hard, a heart that is bitter, a heart that is full of regret, a heart that is full of shame, a heart that says I'm not forgivable, uh, a heart that says I've done too much bad in my life. He can transform that heart. Paul said it in Philippians 3, 3.10, when he said, I want to know Christ, yes. I want to know the power of the resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. How awesome is that? To, to come to know Christ and you get to know him and it's almost, I, I don't know, this is probably a silly analogy, but I just liken it to, to a young couple that 
that is engaged and getting married, and they're just in this, this stage of life where they're just learning to get to know each other better, and all they can do is just think of one another and, and deepen that intimacy and that love that they have for one another. And that's the, the picture of what it looks like when a person comes to Christ and walks with Christ, that that desire to get to know Christ doesn't, doesn't grow old with time especially when we will pour into that relationship. So, so God showed his ultimate power through this empty tomb. Secondly, um, what does the empty tomb tell us, show us? It tells us that, that his priority is people. It tells us that his priority is people. Now, in the, in the tomb of King Tut, the priority was pretty evident. The priority was riches. The priority was wealth. Why else do you need a 22-pound gold hat? You don't. It was his priority. Um, and in contrast, again, what was Jesus' tomb? His tomb was, his, his tomb was empty. And why was that? It's because the priority of God, as shown through sending his son to this earth, was to come and seek the save of those who were lost. This is the whole purpose in why God came to this earth through the man Jesus. So the empty tomb shows us that Jesus' priority was people. Jesus was, yes, he was a humble servant, and he was the king of kings. In Matthew 15, Jesus gives the story talking about what the Savior looks like, and he said he is like a shepherd, a shepherd who has 100 sheep. 99 of them are in front of him, but one of those sheep gets lost. One of those sheep is not to be found. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus leaves the 99 to go find the one. And I ask you this question. I ask us all this question. Um, are you the one that Jesus is going after? Are you the one that he's going after? And, and I, would say, I would say there might be two ways to, to look at that. Either he's going after you because you, like me, and like all of his sheep, have this tendency to nibble our way lost. We just put our head down and we find our way far from God after a while or far from the flock. Um, and it's time to go back to him. Um, or, or you've never given your life to Christ specifically. You've never chosen by faith to accept his love into your life through the sacrifice of Christ. I just ask you clearly, is this you this morning? This is why we're here at a, ch- at a church. We preach this message every week that... That, that life is about walking with the Savior. It's coming under Him, walking with Him, growing in Him. And we wouldn't be a church if we didn't proclaim that message week after week after week. Because it's the greatest message ever to be told. I know for a fact, because you talk to me, and um, I appreciate that, that you talk to me. <laughs> but I know for a fact many people, and there are some in this room right now that feel like they are unforgivable because of a past mistake, a sin. Um, and I say this often, I just wish that y'all got to hear the stories that I got to hear about what goes on in life. Um, because uh, the beauty of your stories is, is um, heroic and inspiring. And I, I really think we need to hear more of those stories. And when you tell me your stories, I'm like, you've got to share that. Nobody wants to listen to me week after week up here. You've got to get up there and share that story. And um, oftentimes because of guilt or shame or fear, fear that there will be judgment, which is silly. These, I'm telling you, you all are pretty loving people. Uh, um, but those kind of stories are, are beautiful. And, um, and they're stories of God's grace in life. And we all live life. We all 
have our ups and our downs. But think about it like this. If you are one of those people that thinks that you're unworthy of God's forgiveness, think about the Apostle Paul. Um, The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of your Bible in the New Testament, uh, he was known for persecuting and murdering Christians. That's what he was known for. That's what he prided himself in. And he goes on to accept the forgiveness of God in his life through the sacrifice of Jesus. And what happens? Um, God works powerfully in him, and he ends up being one of the, the, the leaders. We wouldn't be here, most likely, without his voice that's through the scriptures. So I just encourage you to, to not let that be an excuse to resist the love of God in your life. Uh, there, there is, I've got this up here, I don't know if you saw this. This is a metal detector. Um, so in, in 1992, there was a farmer, and a lot of us, I, I can identify with this. Um, he was um, out working on a fence, and he dropped his hammer. And the grass was tall, and he forgot about it, but it was his favorite hammer, apparently. Um, so much so that he called a friend who had one of these, and he asked his friend to go out and find that metal detector. Or I'm sorry, to find that hammer. And as a, the friend went out to the rough area where the hammer was supposed to be, he, it was beeping, so he reached down, he found a little spoon. and um, He kept looking, and he kept looking, and he kept looking. He finds a few more little odds and ends. Uh, to make a long story short, it turns out that... There was a treasure buried there, uh, and that treasure had 15,000 articles of gold, silver, and bronze coins from the, about 1,000 years earlier from the Roman Empire. Somehow, someway, it got dropped in this field in London. Uh, that sense, which I don't understand this part of the story, they donated that to a museum, and, um, <laughs> and the value of that is $3.2 million dollars. $3.2 million because the guy lost his hammer. I actually don't know. That story didn't say if he ever found his hammer. <laughs> I'm guessing his priorities changed after, after the fact. Um, but the point is that, that to people, to the average person that looks at that field, they just see a field. They see a field with grass, maybe a field with cow pies, whatever they see, they just see a field. Um, and we can go through our lives and... We can tend to just stay floating on the surface, see things on the surface. Uh, But God's priority is people, and God sees the treasure that is your heart. He sees beneath the surface. And the reason he sent Christ to this world is so that he could mine out that soul and call you to himself. He used Jesus to do that. Um, But too often we just go along and we miss the great, great value of his forgiveness that is offered to us. And it's like that treasure just stays buried. God's priority is people. And if you think it's any different, um, then you don't know the true gospel story. It's not about religious observances. It's not about rules or laws. It's not about being good. Those things are good. Religion's good. I would probably be, well, I'm a pastor, so I would probably be a little bit silly if I said, Religion isn't good as long as it doesn't take the place of a relationship with God. It's not rules and and regulations that gets a person saved. It's only the work of Christ. And we know that in so many different scriptures. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The empty tomb reminds us that what matters most to God is God's people. Thirdly, it also tells us 
that his peace, that his peace is transcendent. Now, if you're a jam kid, does any jam kid want to try to define what transcendent means? Like, don't call me, please, don't call me, please. Transcendent just means it's not able to be understood. It's so amazing, it's not able to be grasped. It's such an amazing thing. Uh, There was someone wise that said at one point in time that the great tragedy of the human life is that we spend our our life um, in shame of our past failures and in fear of what is coming in the future. We're, we're spending our lives afraid of what the shame that we had in the past, and we're scared of what comes. And this is where the risen Christ comes in. He sets us free. He sets us free from failures. He sets us free from those things. We're reminded in Romans 3.23 that all of us, we're all the same in the sense that we all have sinned and we all have fallen short of God's glory. We all have, which is why Christ is so key the gospel of Jesus sends us forward into a future. It doesn't keep us stuck into a past that we need to be, feel shame and fear of failures. It sends us forward into a future where death has been defeated. We sung about it earlier, where death has been defeated. I, I oftentimes will uh, inventory my conversations with people, and I just simply observe the world around us, and it's obvious that very, very few people in this world find true and lasting peace. That, just that concept of peace. You ever, get a, you ever get a waft of that peace on a day like yesterday where the chaos of the world is cut out for a minute and the breeze is just a little bit warm? You kind of get that. It's not just me, is it? You kind of get that breath of fresh air. Okay, you kind of you get that breath of fresh air and there's, there's a, a peace, a peace that comes in and it's really a peace that only comes. John 14 describes that peace. It's only a peace that can come from God. And I know that we live in one of the few states that has legalized certain um, plants uh, that, that is supposed to offer some sense of peace. And I know that uh, alcohol and illicit drugs are far too easy to come by. And I know that there is a whole host of, of distractions um, in many different forms that, that, can, that can kind of provide us um, and out, but that's not peace. That's not lasting peace. That's not the kind of peace that only comes from the one who created us. Uh, That's a peace that comes from God. Again, if we look back at Paul, he wrote in that book of Philippians, be anxious for nothing, he says, talking about prayer. Be anxious for nothing. I don't know if that categorizes your life. Don't ever be anxious about nothing. Does that categorize you? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, through prayer, through supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, and this is the key here, the peace of God that transcends, that goes above and beyond. It's a peace that doesn't make any sense. It is a peace that when, sorry, Jerry, I hadn't planned this, but you broke your leg yesterday and gave me an example. It's a, it's a peace that as a self-employed man, and you get run over by a four-wheeler, and you break your leg, and you have a peace to say before the service, I'm self-employed, I'm a farrier, I don't know how I'm going to take care of things, but I know God's got something. That's a peace that only comes from God. And, and we all have situations in our lives that are similar to that, where we feel like we're stuck. We're stuck between um, a wall and a, and a quad that's bearing down on us. 
And we have a choice at that point in time. We have a choice to accept the peace of God when nothing makes sense. It doesn't make any sense to trust. But the peace that comes through Christ is there, and it's real. And I think if you talk to Jerry, um, he would explain that it's real, as he did to me before the service. Which leads to the final point here. And the final point is, his presence is here. His presence is here. The empty tomb tells us that God's presence is here. It's not in a tomb. It's not bones that are still in a tomb. It's not a treasure that's in a tomb. Um, it's a presence that is here now with us. It's said that killing Jesus is like trying to destroy a dandelion by blowing on the white furry seeds. Anybody ever tried to do that? As a former landscaper, that terrifies me to see someone blowing all of those. I should see it as job security, but, but still, it was like you work. Anyway, let's get out of um, death, death could not hold him who holds the world in his hands. He is here. He's among us. As intimate as our spirit allows, the presence of his spirit is to be with us. As we, kinda, as we close here... Um, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of the first story we, tar- we started out with, with King, King Tut. The guy who discovered King Tut um, was this guy here. His name was Howard Carter. He discovered King Tut's tomb after 10 years of, of searching for it in 1922. He spent half a million dollars. That was, that's a lot of money today. He spent half a million dollars back in 1922 in this, um, in this search uh, what was interesting, when he finally discovered where the tomb was, uh, he opened it up, he went down in, everybody yelled at him, what do you see? And he says, I see marvelous things. And then he came up to the top of the stairs and he collapsed. He put his hands in his head, head in his hands, and wept. Uh, the people that were there assumed at first that he was weeping with joy because he had found this. It was later discovered, it was later discovered as he shared that it was 10 years ago when he started digging, he missed the opening to that tomb by 18 inches. 18 inches, um, and he spent 10 years. He virtually lost 10 years of his life because he missed what was so close to him. The challenge is absolutely imperative and it's clear this morning and what I want to challenge you with today is um, don't miss Christ Jesus this morning we do not know what's going to happen tomorrow <laughs> I haven't listened to the news this morning has there been a nuke that's been launched from North Korea I'm not sure has there been this morning <laughs> I should be careful um, we don't know what's going to happen this morning we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and this is not a fear tactic it's just a reality in the world that we live in if you watch the news, which probably isn't the best thing if you're pursuing the peace of God, uh, but you'll know that that's something that is a very re- real reality. And the beauty of the gospel of Christ is that it doesn't require of you anything but faith. Uh, faith that God sent his one and only son into this world uh, to take your place and to take mine. And that his blood that is shed on the cross is a blood that covers our sins, not just the sins that we did, um, not just the sins that we're going to do today, um, and not just the sins of tomorrow. It, it covers them. It covers them all. 
And uh, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, the, the strong encouragement this morning, challenge to you, is to place your faith in Christ. And uh, to, to acknowledge, to acknowledge the, the peace that's offered by him, to acknowledge his presence in your life, to acknowledge his pure power, his good power, unlike any power that we're used to seeing today, corrupt power, but his good and his gracious and his loving power.